The man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock Podcast with your host, Dave Escuro. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and today my guest is, is frankly one of my closest friends. He's a mentor, he's a colleague, he's a comrade, and he's just been the kind of person that I am constantly inspired by, not only because of their knowledge of film, which of course is my chosen profession, uh, but also their their constant need to always be learning, to be willing to reset oneself and start at the bottom in a new endeavor, to never be satisfied for where they're at in their status, and to always push to grow as a person and as an artist and as a person who appreciates culture, which, based on my interactions on Twitter today, is in, we're in desperate need for. Um, we live in a world where our the appreciation for art is maybe, well, certainly, at least in my lifetime, seems to be at an all-time low. And there are very few people, like my guest today, who constantly work hard, selflessly, uh, to to provide works of art for people who do appreciate it to enjoy. Uh, and we need them. We need them because otherwise we're going to be stuck with TikToks and Marvel movies and all that other shit that's fine, good schlock, but it, it's not, it doesn't have the passion, it doesn't have the love, uh, it doesn't have the the effort that uh, uh, something like, uh, well, what our guest today has created, which is Jude Walko. Jude Walko is a producer of uh, nearly 30 years in the film industry. He is the person who taught me uh, everything that I know, but not everything that he knows. And um, I've seen him go from not only being an extraordinarily experienced line producer, but also a uh, director with his film, The Incantation, and also as a author with his book and a novelization of a screenplay that he had written a few years ago called The Unhallowed Horseman. So I want to thank Jude for obviously sharing his time with all of us, but also to for constantly not only inspiring myself, but hopefully inspiring you all to seek the artist life as it as it were to seek out trying to put something cultured in the world something with passion and heart and love behind it in the world for us to enjoy because without those things this planet this world the rigors of adulthood they just become too much to bear if we don't have at least some semblance of art that reminds us of what our humanity is humanity is and jude is one of the people in my life amongst many who constantly strive for that in every endeavor that they do i'm always impressed i'm always inspired i'm always in awe of everything that he takes on i appreciated the time that we spent together conversing talking uh sharing his perspective on things and i hope that you all enjoyed as much as i did so without further ado my guest today jude S. Walko, PGA, author, director, and many more. Enjoy. How are you, my man? I'm good, man. It's so good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. I mean, would it be it wouldn't be a, a Dave Oscuro podcast if Jude Walko at some point didn't make an appearance? Because I'm pretty sure you've been on nearly all of them uh, at definitely. this point in some capacity, especially Grindhouse. You were on that all the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a tradition at this point. Halloween tradition. Exactly. I was going to say, you know, one of the the um, 
reasons we kind of waited for this time period was number one, I couldn't imagine this is this is sort of our Halloween spec spooktacular as I say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um and frankly I couldn't imagine someone being on the show that wasn't as uh, big a fan of horror as I am authentically, you know, you live and breathe like Tim Burton and yeah. sort of macabre and and on top of all of that, on top of the fact that I know that you're someone who understands and appreciates this holiday as much as I do. Yeah. On top of all that, you have a book coming out. I sure do. So, man, thanks for uh, you know holding this slot for me. It's perfect. It's a perfect time of year, and and it's actually you know I'm here in Thailand, and it's an auspicious day. It's today, actually. Today is Ok Pensaw, which is the end of like the whole seasonal thing um, where. Yeah. You know, it's we, we kind of call it Buddhist Lent, but it's like it's like really creepy because it's it lines up with the full moons, you know. So it's been right. It's been like three months, and this is uh, there's a big gigantic full moon outside, and it's just it's nighttime here as we're recording this. So it's uh, it's awesome. It's getting a little a little cooler, you know. It's all, it's that spooky time of year. I love it. I love that, and and for people who don't know, but I know, if I'm not. <laughs> incorrect tomorrow uh-huh. or maybe the next day i'm not sure exactly because you live in a different time zone obviously yeah. a different part of the world you live in thailand yeah. but tomorrow you you are able to start drinking again <laughs> that's, that's right. right yeah yeah that's right that's right i go 100 days uh it starts around my birthday usually which is in july july 17th and and it goes you know to right about now give or take a give or take a few days but i i always make sure it's 100 days so yeah so watch out and it's pretty cool too, because because as someone who grew up Catholic and yeah. understands Lent, as you, of course you'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch base on your yeah. religious background. But you, you're how many years have you done this now? Ten? Oh, uh, more. I think it's more now. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> what is this? Twenty twenty one. I think I started in two thousand six. So that's like fifteen years. It was either 2006 or 2008, so it's be- it's it's between you know 13 and 15 years, I think. So like half for half of your adult life, more or less. Yeah, you've prescribed to this sort of 100 days of sacrifice of sorts, yes. and for you, you give up drinking right for 100 right. days, but it works out well because you get to celebrate. Yes, and and probably painfully celebrate <laughs> uh, your birthday. Yes. drinking exactly and. And then right before Halloween kicks off, you get to like get off the wagon, yeah. so to speak, yeah. and and enjoy all the pumpkin spice beers or as much, exactly. whatever you can get out there anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it's it's great when I'm in the states because it's all the pumpkin beers. Here, it's uh, you know we have some we have some Hefeweizens and some nice imports and stuff. So yeah, exactly. It it works out great, and it gives my liver a rest. And it's sort of like you know the whole purpose is to kind of make sure you have the. Um, you know, that you have the, uh, you cannot, uh, you're not a drunken that you right. <laughs> have the stamina and the willpower and all that stuff to, to, um, you know, keep going. So it's a good well, exercise. Some, yeah. I was gonna say there's something to be said for discipline, especially if you're a bit of a libertine, right. Yeah. To every once in a while self-impose some discipline in your life and yeah. make sure that you haven't fallen prey to addiction. I mean, I think I did it with you two years ago. Yeah. I almost made it. I made like 90 days. Yeah. You did pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The alcohol wasn't, the alcohol wasn't hard, but giving up uh, marijuana at this point was difficult because I can't sleep yeah, without yeah, it. Sure. It I'm, makes I'm sense. Terrible so. insomnia. It, it's real hard. Oh, good. 
No, I was okay. just going to say it's it's hard. Like in it's like more than the drinking aspect is the social aspect. Like you know, oh, you, sure. there's these things, there's events that happen that you always have a drink, like football games or concerts or whatever. Yeah. Those are the hardest part when you're with, especially when you're with your great friends. That's when it, the discipline really has to kick in. You know. Um, well, see, l- luckily for me, I used to be straight edge back in, when I was like 18. And so for like five years, yeah. when everyone's going sort of off the walls with alcohol, I, I abstained. And <laughs> yeah. so getting through the social events is not that challenging at this point for me, because usually what I'll do is I'll get like a club soda with a lime. Right. right. Or like, I don't know if you've tasted liquid death yet. It's it's uh, carbonated or still water. It's a, just a, a bottled water, but it's in a can. Mm. And um it's delicious. And so I've been doing that, put a little lemon in there nice. and, and that usually sort of satiates the, the need to have something in the hand and to, yeah. to give you a prop essentially, right. To give you some right. action exactly, as they would yeah. say in the theater world. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, but, but for me, it was like, I, I suffer for such bad insomnia. I uh, still to this day, like I was yeah. talking to a friend of mine and I have a whole routine yeah. laid out for yeah. sleeping. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, melatonin off and on, a weighted blanket, yeah. lavender spray, eye mask, <laughs> uh, meditating. And yeah. in the last couple of years, because I didn't really start smoking weed until I was in my late, late thirties, yep. marijuana, which, which helps tremendously, yeah. especially when it's sort of saved in the evening, yeah. right before bed, like about an hour, hour and a half before bed. Yep. Really help clears your, your mind out in, yeah. in a way that is sort of some, somewhat difficult to do yeah. and then has allowed me to get much, much deeper sleep. Albeit, the one trade off is I dream far less. Oh, really? I, I, yeah, I didn't realize that that was sort of an off, like a, maybe not an offshoot's not the right word, but a potential like a side effect or something. Like side effect, yeah, exactly. It sort wow. of suppresses dreams, which is strange. I, did, I would think it would be the opposite. I think it'd give you crazier dreams. Well, when you're awake. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're asleep, you actually sleep. <laughs> when you're asleep, your brain's just like, all right, I'm done. Right? I've had too much. So does, <laughs> does the does the does the inclusion of your sort of hundred days of abstaining has that have you found that to be productive for you at this stage? Or is at or maybe at this point it may be just what you do, but like yeah. do you find yourself taking that time you would have been drinking and applying it to other projects and maybe in this instance your unhallowed horseman novel yeah i definitely would say that it it definitely deters from you know because because other the rest of the year i drink fairly heavily you know and it's Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon to have a couple beers and then if there's any friends around or anything then it becomes a social thing so yeah. you could lose a whole night just to hang out, even if you're not getting drunk, even if you're just chilling with a couple beers. Um, and then, you know, I'm older now. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year. So as you get older, when you start drinking, you get more tired. You know, it's not like when you were young. Mm-hmm. So then you lose energy because you've had a couple of beers and then the alcohol kicks in and then you're like, okay, I'm ready to take a nap. So that, again, that time you could have used um, – you you're you're sleeping or whatever you're tired so your brain's not functioning 100 percent. so i would say yeah right. definitely for sure yeah it's funny one of the the reasons i i with with a, a couple of notable exceptions have mostly stayed away from harder drugs mm-hmm. is that every time i hear a story about people doing i don't know molly or mm-hmm. uh, even acid yeah it always concludes with and then we were up all night <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that's always been like the, that's the part that I'm like, I don't want to be up all night. I can't yeah. sleep. I, yeah. I struggle sleeping as it is. This is not a, a selling point for me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. But, but, but you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm 10, nearly 10 years younger than you, although that yeah. changes because yeah. little known secret is you actually live closer to the sun and therefore that's you're right. aging faster than the rest of us. Yeah. It's like Superman um, when he flew around, you know? Was, yeah. Yeah. Inception, yeah. not Inception. What was that? Inter- interstellar. <laughs> interstellar. Um, yeah. Um, but for me, same thing for me as well. Like if I have, yeah. and it also depends on what I drink. If I have like a, a couple of wines, yeah. then I might feel kind of rough the next morning. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I have vodka, usually I'm fine. And it kind of just varies on what I drink, but, yeah. but more and more I find myself kind of moving away from alcohol. Cause it's just, it's, it's a bit too much of a commitment for me at this stage and for yeah, me to yeah. sort of ha- to commit to getting drunk the night before and that's like okay the next two days you're gonna be exhausted good luck yes. good luck with that <laughs> right totally <laughs> so so you so the unhallowed horseman well explain it to everyone who doesn't know because obviously i know yeah uh, explain to everyone sort of uh your inspiration behind it uh the origin of that story as it relates to you and and your uh vision for it yep and how it all led to a novelization of yeah. your story Okay, cool. Well, that's a that's a lot you just touched on there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically, you know, it, it it goes back to my childhood. You know, like um, for some reason, I'm all, I've always been drawn to that character of the headless horseman and that tale of Sleepy Hollow, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Um, and I remember, you know, there's been so many reiterations of it. Um, there's there was the Disney. There was like. Um, the Mr. Toad and Ichabod's mm-hmm. adventures. And then there was sleepy hollow. And then there was one with Bing Crosby. And then, you know, then Tim Burton did his sleepy hollow and all that. But, but I guess as from a, as far back as I can remember, I've always like been drawn to that character and it never just kind of went away. You know, like, like I, I, I always kept going back to that well for some reason. And then like, I, I want to say it was two, 2009 or so. I was in LA. Um, it was kind of slow and it was Halloween and I was staying at our friend Doc Pete's house in mm-hmm. Monterey Park. And and it was really cool because that's a very um that's like a Chinese immigrant town, so it's very quiet and peaceful. There's you know, most most people are in their seventies there. It's like a retirement community mostly. Mm-hmm. So um it was Halloween, it was very peaceful. There was a library right across the street from where I was staying. Uh, you know, they, it's like by eight o'clock, everyone's in bed, you know, just because it's an older community and, and all that stuff. So it was a really creepy kind of year. And I was like, man, I'm feeling really inspired at this point. So I, I went, I got a library card. I went to the library. I checked out all um, Washington Irving stuff. I checked out the like complete works of Edgar Allan Poe, Poe which is like, you know, a thousand pages in and of <laughs> itself. And right. I basically just hold up in this house. I don't even remember there might, we might not even had electricity at that point. Cause it was, no one was living in the house. It was, I was just there as a favor. So it might've been even right. candlelight if I remember correctly, but it was just we filmed there. Yeah. We, it's, it's a pretty empty house. It's a pretty empty house. Exactly. And, uh, so I just got in the mood and, 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 um, you know, started, I, this story started taking shape. Um, and at that time I, I was writing it as a script because I, I still think it would make a great movie or series idea. So, uh, but I never had the intention of it of being a novel at that time. Um, so, so I, that's what was the very beginning of the script. Um, and eventually became, you know, a full length 
feature script and it actually got greenlit a couple times by some indie companies but they never kind of went through for whatever reason leah marie johnson was attached to it at one point to play the main character which is um her name is uh reina constance in the story and all that stuff so anyways I, i wrote the story um and as i got better you know writing writing is a craft like anything else and it's like i always tell people like you wouldn't look at your college writing now and say that's good writing. And in, and in, when you were in college, you wouldn't look at your high school writing and in high school, you wouldn't look mm-hmm. at your elementary school writing because it's a craft and you grow. Right. Um, so the same thing with me, like as I grow, as you get more life experience and you get more intelligence, hopefully. Um, and you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. And there's more pop culture and, and you sort of learn the art of st- storytelling, even as a, you know, uh, as an audience member, as a viewer watching other awesome stories, movies and novels and other things, you get better at it. So um, eventually I got to the point where, you know, this story, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't, I couldn't exercise it out of my brain, you know, it was still there and I had a lot more to tell. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, man, you know what, I should just, uh, I should I should try to write it in a novel because I already have the the whole outline because I had a script, right? So I have right. the three acts, I have the climax, I have the characters, but I have a lot more to tell because this wor- the world building I want to do here based on all my experiences um, and all my, you know, the cool things I love about horror, I want to put it in this story and you just can't do that in a 90-minute script as much as you would want to. But a novel, you certainly can. So... Right. You know, I just started following. I literally would read the script. I would read uh, a scene from my script, and then I would start writing it. And as I was writing it, um, you know, ideas would come to me. Like, you know, I'm I'm sure you have experienced this as well, and a lot of writers do. You sort of get in this flow of like it's almost like you're not writing it. It's like someone else is writing it. The 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 Mm -hmm. thoughts and the and the and the the scenes are just coming to you so fast and furious that you're just kind of a vessel and the, you know, the pen or the typewriter is just, or the uh, keyboard is just going a million miles an hour. And sometimes I felt that way. Um, And, uh, and that's, and that's how it happened. So it it was a gargantuan task and it still is a gargantuan task. um, And that, because my particular novel is, ended up being a hundred thousand words, which is big for novel. Like it could be, mm-hmm. they can be as small as 40,000. The average is like 60, 70. I'm up at a hundred. Um, and then it got cold back to 90 and then it got pushed back up to around 95 or 96. So it's still a very lengthy novel for uh, compared to your average novel, especially a debut novel. You know, we're not talking right. war and peace here and all that, but for a debut author, it's a, it's a longish novel. Um, so when I first started doing it, you know, it just felt like, um, like I was chipping away at an iceberg. Like it just, it felt like I would never get through it. You know, like, even though I knew the arc, especially cause I knew the arc because I knew all the stuff I still had to tell to get to the end point. So it was, it was very daunting for a while. And, and, uh, I just committed myself to doing it. And every day I just wrote and, you know, I, I think I averaged like, 12, 1200 words a day. Um, and, and then, you know, you got to read it and then you got to reread it and then you got to proofread it. You know, so it's just, it's very similar to filmmaking, you know, very similar process. So then I finally got to the end of that process that took months. It probably took three or four months to do that whole thing. 
And then of course there's always revisions, revisions, revisions. And then I got it to a spot where I liked it. And then, you know, it's just like a film. You got to hand it off to an editor and then the editor goes, Oh, well, you don't really need to say that. And this doesn't make any sense. And this sucks. And this is too wordy. And you know, this is uh, taken away from your story and whatever. So they do their whole process, which takes my editor who uh, has been doing it for decades, took three weeks just to do her pass as an editor. Mm -hmm. Then I have to go back and redo my pass based on her notes, you know, so it's like a never ending. It's just like making a film. Right. But it's funny because you touched on, on a few different things there. The first and foremost, I want to, I want to sort of highlight is, Entering into what what is sort of commonly referred to as a as a flow state. Yes, you see this a lot in um, you, you hear it talked about a lot in like athletics. So like you know your basketball, football, um, martial arts, where there there's a moment in the activity where I think it was Michael Jordan who was saying something to the effect of like the game slows down. Yeah, like your body starts moving faster than the speed of thought. Yes. It, 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 you're you move into a state where you're like you said you're almost because your body is your your instinct is moving separate from your conscious mind. Yep. It feels a bit like you're observing yourself. Yeah. Like you're just witnessing. You almost it's almost outer body in a sense. It is. Um, and your brain, in some regards, turns off. All your focus is sort of into the task at hand, yep. and it's like watching it in slow mo in a, in a way. Yeah. Right. Whereas like you're like you can't your brain can't catch up to what the inspiration that's just yeah. taken over. Right. You're tapping into some sort of yeah. subconscious divine inspiration. So, yes, that's super cool. That's super cool that you experience that. Yeah. In, a, in the writing work field. Um, and then the other thing is it's it's also really interesting to me as also a filmmaker to sort of hear that the process of making a novel in some regards has the same three phases that film has, you know, the, you know, as you know, in film, we'll often talk about the movie is created in three different ways, right? You've got yeah. the, the guy who writes it, yeah. you've got the, the, the crew that shoots it, and then you've yeah. got the editor that edits it. And from yeah. all of those three phases, you end up getting the final product, which yeah. may or may not be close to the original inspiration. Yeah. In this regard, you had your, you had what was in your brain. Yep. Yeah. Right. Then you committed it to paper, which I'm sure changes things as you go, as you, as, as the pencil, metaphorically speaking, hits the paper, things will, will change and alter. Plus when you originally conceived the idea, if it was back in 2009, which is when I met you, we're talking about what, 12 years ago, going on 13 years ago. So really I'm sure that has evolved just because again, you've got 12 more years, you got over a decade more of experience. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, and then you you pass it off to the editor face, who then takes it and says, "Okay, this is how we can make it more succinct and to the point." Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's funny because you know, in the, in the film we call it killing killing your babies, and in in editing they call it killing your darlings. Because I mean, in the book <laughs> like world, yeah, because I yeah. guess it, you know it's an actual saying from who knows the seventeen hundreds or something. You could probably look it up, but. But yeah, my editor's like, yeah, in, in, in book world, we say killing your darlings, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's very much the same process. But yeah, that, that feeling, in fact, I talk about that feeling in the novel. There's a couple of times when there's a time when the main character, I guess I should tell a little bit about the story at some point too, but yeah. when the main character, <laughs> um, 
you know, is, is, is in the zone, so to speak. Um, and he feels like he's tethered to his conscious body because his subconscious is sort of like flowing, floating almost like an out of body experience as he's watching his body do these acts and things way faster than he can process them. And so that's described in the novel. And also another character who's in the heat of the moment, um, there's a there's a description where he's he's driving like this uh, muscle car, which is a real car that I owned back in the day, um, and he's and he's driving it and he's driving it through the backwoods of Sleepy Hollow over you know mud bogs and tree trunks and horses and whatever's out there, and um, he's just in the zone, you know. He's like he's feeling this flow and the car's just kind of floating and he's and he's not even really it's like speed racer it's like the wachowski's wachowski's version <laughs> of speed racer where they're, they're just in the zone and he's flying along but yeah it's right. it's, it's, t- it's totally true it's it's and it's so similar to filmmaking um it's like when you know i joke that you know you can ask me anything about film i got almost three decades of experience but when you talk about book editing i'm i'm like a deer in the headlights i know nothing you know it's like all new to me the whole process is new to me or was new to me so so now now it's like but you know it's like they have their own terminology like we do ours but it's a very similar um process very similar you know it's like just like you said the steps of 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 the idea the, the development then you know the in the shooting in the movie case or the writing in that, and then the editing and then the polish. But the good news about um, um, my novel, because I'm self-publishing this one mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, I have creative control and that could be good or bad, you know, cause like I, I looked at all the editor suggestions and I took most of them. I probably took 70% of them, but some, some babies I weren't, I wasn't willing to kill, you know? Um, but that may not necessarily be a good thing because somebody might read that and be like, Oh, that's kind of wordy or, you know, you're kind of going off on a tangent there. And, but I have a, I have a logic and a reason for why I want whatever that thing is in the novel. And I, at this point, even in the, in the post process, if you will, of after it's been, was fully edited, I read it additional four times. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's like a 422 page book. So I read it, you know, I would split it up in three days and I did that four more times since the edit, just because, you know, each time I would read it for a different reason. Some, it might've been last minute grammar mess ups or, but most of the time it was for flow because I wanted to read it as an audience member and go like, am I ever going to get choked up? Am I ever going to you know, like that, I always say like when you, when you're watching a movie, if that, if there's that comes that point where you look at your watch in the middle of a film, then the, you, you were lost as an audience member. Right. Um, and I feel like my novel doesn't, doesn't do that. It, it does have some exposition. It's based in actual historical facts. Sleepy Hollow is a real town that was used to be called Terrytown, New York. It's, it's actually there. It's where Washington Irving wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and they posthumously named the town after the story in his honor. They got, um, if you go to that town, um, you know, all the cars and the fire station, they have the Headless Horseman on their logos. It's so cool. Um, and speaking of that, I had, when I wrote the original story, I had never been there. Mm-hmm. I just had watched, you know, the ones I had mentioned, the Disney ones and the Tim Tim Burton one, but I had never been to the actual town. And I wrote the story and 
and, and I had a chance to visit it twice since then. And I was shocked when I got there that it was exactly how I pictured it in my head. Like mm. in my imagination, it, it, there, there were so many things that were right on the money of how I pictured it. Um, and that was cool because that kind of did feel like some divine inspiration. It kind of felt like, you know, maybe Washington Irving was like, I approve. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little insight about this place before you even see it with your own eyes kind of thing. Um, and even today, I have in my story, I have a thing called, I call Dutch Down Home Days, which is mm-hmm. uh, in my story. It's like where they, their big party at the end, at the Halloween season during yep. during Halloween and the whole town comes out and they have a jamboree and, and the whole, all the kids get out of school and the whole thing. I, I, I imagined that. I wrote that. I created that. I, w- I went on today to the Sleepy Hollow website and they actually have a thing called the Halloween block party that happens every year. It's happening on <laughs> October 22nd. And I was like, holy shit. Like that's right out of my, right out of my novel. Like I had no idea that actually existed till today. So it's, it's been, a, it's been cool. You know, like it's, there's been a lot of serendipitous moments along the ride um, that have happened like that. And actually I've befriended so many people in Sleepy Hollow, like uh, through social media, because I'm always posting and doing Headless Horseman and Sleepy Hollow hashtags and blah, blah, blah. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the whole town, there's like visit Sleepy Hollow, there's a chamber of commerce, there's the fire, fire and the police and all, and, and um, all these people that um, are now kind of my social media friends because of, of, of the project, which is cool because I love the town. I, I bought a, a cemetery plot there in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. So that's amazing. <laughs> Well, and it's and it's cool too because uh, I think that when you when you do tap into that creative flow state, um, you are drawing. Like I said, you're bypassing your conscious mind, and you're sort of drawing from a deeper part of your psyche. That's that is it itself drawing from, in my opinion, energies elsewhere. And yeah. there's a term in magic called egregores, mm-hmm. wherein if enough people believe in something or mm-hmm. or are around something, that 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 thing. In this instance, perhaps a location, a place mm-hmm. will sort of collect that energy yeah. that can be referenced, that can be called upon. And so, again, like on a subconscious level, tapping into something like that, you know, sometimes people call it like the creative consciousness. And yeah. there's been studies that lean towards it, but there's other people that disprove it. But yep. for my purposes, yep. I tend to lean towards believing that there is something to a collective consciousness and that one is able to tap into it and draw from it things that you wouldn't otherwise know. Yeah. Right. Uh, you wouldn't know that there was a down home. What do you call it? Down, down home, home days. Yeah. Dutch down home. Yeah. Days. Down home. Day. Yeah. Dutch down home days. Like you wouldn't necessarily know that. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, of course you might, you know, the, the skeptic may say, well, it's, uh, it's easy to be intuitive about something, a place that celebrates that may have it, but you know, you don't right. know that. Like right. when I, where I was, where I grew up, Yep. On uh, in South Texas on the Gulf Coast, we have something called Buccaneer Days, uh-huh. yeah. which is a celebration of all things piratey, right? In right. my little hometown. Yeah. But if you've never been to Corpus Christi, yeah. you wouldn't know that. Right. There would be no reason for you to know that yeah. unless you looked something up. Yeah. So that's really interesting as well. And then the other thing is, there's this term, there's this band that I like called the Mars Volta, mm-hmm. and they took their name, one half of their name, the Volta part, from this from this Italian word that essentially means the moment in a poem or in a piece of work where the perspective changes mm. or there's a sharp turn in, in the narrative or in the action or the story. Yeah. And, and I like to 
to use that term to describe what you might call a serendipitous moment or these these eureka moments, right? Your volta, like it's it's the moment when you realize that there's something beyond the mundane, mm. and it and it seeps into our life in an un, undeniable way. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wherein wherein things shift for you. Yeah, and you're like ah. This yeah. now I know. Now I have this info that I didn't have prior. Yeah, I love that feeling. Yeah, and so I like to, I'd like to reference back that term volta. It's like whenever I have those moments, no matter how much I know that they're real yeah. or I believe in them, when they happen, they always kind of catch you off guard. And it's yeah. like that turn, right? It's like that right. pivot into realizing that there's still some enchantment left in the world yeah. that you're able to occasionally, when when all the circumstances align, you know, when the stars align, yeah. you're able to tap into it in a natural way and let it kind of flow through you. That's a yeah. that's a super cool feeling, and that's usually when you know you're you're off to um, you're off to a good start with with whatever creative work you're doing. The other thing that you mentioned. Um, was sort of chipping away at a novel. Yeah. And it reminds me of a, a, a quote from Michelangelo who, when he was making the statue of David, mm -hmm. he saw the figure in the marble yeah. and he chipped away at the marble until the, the figure was released. Yes. That's you know, exactly and, what it felt like for me. <laughs> I was going to say, I would assume that it would be a somewhat similar feeling with any creative endeavor, right? Like in your mind, you see it, you visualize it yeah. perfectly and and you either if you're a sculptor you chip away at marvel if you're a writer you put the pen to paper yeah. and 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 one curse of word after another until yeah. until the the angel is released so to speak yeah yeah i often i often say that with both film and writing is it, i always compare it to sculpting because it's like you know it's an it's an amorphic amorphous blob when it starts and then you kind of get a shape into what you want and then after revision after revision revision you know, you start slowly carving out something and then there is that point, that Volta moment when it takes on a life of, of its own, like, you know, when a sculpture is staring back at you and it's like, oh man, there's like a person I was sculpting, but there it's like looking back at me, you know, like it's, a, this creation yeah. is now has a life of its own. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great feeling. It's a tremendous, um, you, you know, accomplishment uh just as a human being just to get something out there and then you know like i said I, i've i've read it four times in the last three weeks and it it feels right you know like it it feels like it's in a good space it feels like the story is being told it feels like it it adds on to washington irving's story which is really what i wanted to do i wanted to sort of keep perpetuating the legacy because I just love that story so much. And I had the honor of, there's a guy named Jonathan Crook, who's a um, mm -hmm. historian. I think he's, I think he's the probably preeminent living historian on Washington Irving, the Hudson Valley and the Sleepy Hollow alive today. Um, and he did the forward in my book. Um, and, you know, I put his quote on my, on, on the cover just because I look up to the man so much. And he basically said, you know, he believes that Irving from the grave would, would approve this story and, and, and appreciate how it sort of added on to the, to the, to the lineage of the characters and stuff. Um, and my, my editor said a similar thing, you know, you know, un, unprovoked. She just said, I, you know, I think Irving would be proud of this. And, and that, that to me is worth more than anything. Cause you know, 
when when we're all dead and gone, probably no one will remember me, but they'll still remember Washington Irving and the, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And I hope in some way that I've kind of pushed that along and <laughs> helped that, you know, sort of stay in the universe a little bit more uh, and helped with this because because that character and that story is getting bigger and bigger uh, as as years go on. You know? Well, and, and to me, authentic, you know, earnest art is sort of the last tether that we have towards our humanity and when you put an, a, a piece of work out into the world that you're passionate about that you're doing because you love it i mean you've talked about like always being drawn to like america's real one folk yeah. story yeah. you got you maybe have like johnny appleseed right. and paul bunyan yeah and uh, but a lot of our a lot of americans sort of folklore is based around um the west right and yeah. and and sort of conquering the land but sleepy hollow yeah is a bit different and it's, it sort of touches on those themes of like being weary of nature and being weary of things that exist beyond. Like it's not about the conquest of man over nature. Like the other stories are, it's more like, Hey, be, be careful because nature will bite back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a cool thing to touch into. The other thing that that I, I really have always admired about you is that you, like you said, you've got near 30, three decades worth of film experience as a producer, you've worked on huge films, you've worked on small films and everywhere in between you've trained up people, myself included, you've given, you've really given back to that film community. And if you so desired, you could just probably be sitting in some office somewhere (laughs) and, you know, and, and just, you know, running, running the show, but you have always sought knowledge yes, and you've always sought art and and passion yes and i respect that and um it shows because you mentioned like you you go from being someone with 30 years of film experience you 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 know basically the you you know a a lot about film i mean you'll never know everything because none of us ever do but you you could walk into nearly any set and at least be (laughs) you know even the biggest films even star wars and at least you you would have a a good understanding of like how to tackle it or at least who to bring in right yeah yeah and then you go into the world of noveling yeah and you're like a white belt all over again. <laughs> yeah, starting exactly. from scratch. You're PA all over again. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, <laughs> and I've seen you do this process with like going from being a, a line producer or a producer for hire, yeah. joining PGA, uh-huh. and then, okay, I'm going to make my own film as a director. <laughs> yeah. Let me start over again. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then not only am I going to write and direct and star <laughs> in a film, the yeah. incantation, available yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But... You also um, you had to deal with all the 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 part of film that people don't well people don't understand most aspects of film, but the part that people really don't get is how hard it is to not only make the film, yeah, but then get it out in the world, oh. and you tackled that as well. Yeah. And it sounds like you've basically done that whole process all over again. Yes, with your novel. The only main maybe exception is that it's a little cheaper. Than yeah. film and and it, it probably involves less people because it is something that you can kind of do yeah. somewhat solo. Although of course, as editors and and people yeah. and what have you, but yeah. but <laughs> what is that drive within you to constantly reinvent yourself? And and how often and and in what ways did you draw from your film experience yeah. to help fill those gaps of things that you just didn't know that you had to sort of walk blindly through? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if I had to put it in a phrase, it's ars gratia artist, man. Art for art's sake. Because I, I, 
I that was ingrained in me since my formative years uh, back in the seminary days, uh, and I just I've always loved creating. And the thing that the the thing that gets me is that creating stuff is, is at least the idea part of it is free. So I think it's such a cool idea that anyone anyone that speaks any language in the world, even if you don't speak the language, you can put mm-hmm. together a concept and create something out of it that can be a tangible product that can be handed off to generations. And that's the same with film. It's the same with poetry. It's the same with novels, um, even taking pictures, blogs, anything. You know, you can create anything. And I, I always thought that was the coolest thing. You could even, you know, make money off of it, although none of us <laughs> do it passionately make any money. We end up putting our money into it more than making money. So it's not never about that. Um, but, but yeah, so I guess that's my, my drive is just to, just to keep creating, you know, everyone wants to leave some sort of legacy, uh, behind, uh, sort of their kids to have and their grandkids when they're long gone in this case, perpetuating Irving's story and his legacy is part of that. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I will continue to reinvent myself until I'm dead, I guess, or at least until I'm incapacitated just because, um, you know, like I, there's certain things that I know I could never do. Like I could never, you know, I got a bunch of buddies and a business partner who's a Marine. I could never be a Marine. I'm too old. It's Mm -hmm. too late. Like that ship has sailed. It's never going to happen. But there are certain things that I can do. Like I can become a director. I can write a novel. I can, I can do those things. I can accomplish those things. I can conquer those icebergs. So if those things are in my sights and I, for whatever reason, you know, get veer towards them, I'm, I'm going to do them at all costs. And I, and to answer your other question, I'd say, you know, all my years of film experience went into the novel on several, several aspects, even ones I'm still dealing with. Like right now I'm still formatting the book for, uh, paperback and, and ebook. That's a whole process and hard book, hard, hardback. Um, so I'm dealing with sort of a formatting editor who lives in another country in another time zone. And I got a deadline and Halloween's coming up and I'm trying to do pre-sales and blah, 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 blah. So even that it's like film, you know, like it's, there's certain personality types. Um, you got to figure people out. You got to get the logistics down. You got to plot it out. So all that, all that stuff is very similar on the, on the, uh, left side of the brain, the logistical part. And then on the creative side, it's all the plot and, and the Joseph Campbell stuff and the story arcs and all that stuff is, is also very similar. So I would say probably I couldn't write a novel, certainly not write one as well if I didn't have film experience. I would say they go hand in hand. And I always say this to people too, like it's not like I just – rolled out, rolled out of bed and wrote a novel, you know, like I, I'm the first person to say that I'm always a student and always learning. So I always say that whatever I accomplished, which are big things for me, they may be small for Mm -hmm. other people, but writing a novel is a huge thing for me personally, but I couldn't have accomplished it without all the life experience and all the things I've done up until this point, because I just didn't have the knowledge or, or, or any of it, you know, like it all sort of leads up to this. And everybody's story is different, but um, that's a drive that that keeps me going. Is is uh, you know, just just keep keep building the repertoire and 
and, and I'm just a creative person. Like I can't be still ever. Like I gotta be doing, making a video, writing a story, drawing something, coloring something, taking a picture. Like I just, I, my brain can't stop. Like I'm just that kind of person, you know, it doesn't matter how small and it's probably more, maybe it's more cathartic than anything. I don't know. Like it's not necessarily to put it out to the world, although I do, you know, but. Well, I think you've, you've tapped into what you, you know, your true will as it relates to your purpose on this earth. And you're an artist in the, in the truest sense of the word, you create art because you love to create art yeah. and you're something of a, of a Renaissance man in a way, <laughs> in, in a world that is very much not that yeah. these days. Yeah. And, um, you know, for anyone who's met you or has seen your photo online, you look like Santa Claus these days. Like if Santa, like if Santa Claus was raised by the Duck Dynasty guys, that's kind of that's kind of your vibe. That's perfect. With with an unhealthy obsession to Tim Burton, that that's like your that's yeah, like your that's what it. you got going on. That's perfect. And 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 the reality of it is is that um, you are an incredibly cultured person. You've had the luxury of being raised. Uh, with not only a high level of education, but in really unique circumstances. Yeah. I'm sure, I know you've said it a bunch of times, but yeah. for those who haven't heard that, and, and you know, not only do you have that base of, of being exposed to the sort of, um, to the more humanitarian aspect of the world, like the fine arts, but you've carried it on in your world travels, where you live, mm-hmm. um, taking on different creative endeavors to me, I, I think that that should serve as an inspiration to folks, especially in this age uh, of social media where everyone is trying to set up their little fiefdoms mm-hmm. of, of <laughs> small town, petty bourgeois fame, Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, creating, creating these little, these little, I don't even know how to describe it. Like these little Block, you know, city block mafias where they where they self aggrandize themselves and and pretend that they're Kardashians and yeah. and and in that process of the seeking of fame, the art gets lost. Yeah, and and you're a person. I mean, again, you could tell your story, but like you're a person who who at multiple times in your life could have chosen the more uh, some and some might say lucrative or famous or whatever lifestyle, and you've chosen to seek truth in 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 uh knowledge and in the creation of your art yeah yeah totally you know it's like it's like sometimes you know all of us get weighed down by that like like you know you know that i'm in my little little circle like i'm friends like tim burton is is my my god my human god for me he's like the pinnacle of cinema and stuff and and um and i'm friends with people in his circle um so sometimes the weight of that, just like anyone with social media and whatnot, the, the weight of wanting to be famous, wanting to have a project mm-hmm. that everyone knows about, when I feel that kind of coming down on me and, and, and I feel like, why, why, why am I not the next Tim Burton? Why am I not the next Danny Elfman or, or whatever? I, don't, I, I push that away because the only way you're ever going to get notoriety or fame or or anything which doesn't matter to me it's the art is doing it you know like like no one's no one's gonna no one's gonna verify you 
Like we were all mm-hmm. obsessed with verifying, getting verified on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, or whatever. No one's going to verify you just for existing. So you right. have to be, you know, as much as JK Rowling has been on her gun for a lot of stuff she said, but, but her process of not being famous of holding up in cafes and trains and, and creating this universe and writing and not giving a shit about anything other than getting the story out there. And probably any other artist you can mention, she just comes to mind because she's talked a lot about her process uh, very publicly. Um, but that, that sort of attitude of just like, no matter what happens, you're going to push this thing out into the world, like give birth to this thing out into the world. Mm-hmm. It's not about, it's not about fame or notoriety or any of that stuff. It's about getting the art out there. It's about getting it out of your head. It's about getting it out to the universe. And once it's done, you can leave it, you know, like you mentioned, I did the incantation and I'm revisiting it every day because I'm watching all the behind the scenes and strumming <laughs> together these little silly uh, YouTube videos. So I'm reliving every single moment of it. Um, but it's out there, you know, it's like finished and I don't have to go back to it. Like it's a product. It's a, it's a, it was inspired. It's a story. It was created all hands on deck, everyone who put into it and it was tied up in a bow and it's out there in the world to see. And then I can move on to the next one. And I feel, um, you know, like a sense of accomplishment. I feel like a little piece of me, a little piece of my, you know, creative process has been shared with the world. So my one little, you know, I may not be the wide swaths of Tim Burton art, but my one little paintbrush stroke is out there somewhere, you know? So, right. and it's cool and it's fine and, and it's awesome. And I, and I will just always keep doing that process. And, and eventually maybe the fame comes, maybe it doesn't. Who cares? Who knows? You know, like the greatest of the greats became famous after they were dead for, you know, mm-hmm. 50 years. So that doesn't matter to me. And even the fa- some famous people, you know, hated life when they had fame. So, you know, right. again, like, it's about it's about the art to me. Um, so yeah, I I, and, I love it. Yeah, I, I could. I mean, it's obvious. It shows <laughs> in your work, right? It, it bleeds through. Um, what what drew you to horror? Because you've always been a horror fan. Yeah. And uh, and and talk just briefly. I know. Like, again, I know you've you've said this on other podcasts. Um, yeah. But but just sort of talk briefly about like your journey to here in yeah. life. I mean, you've it's yeah. a really unique uh, <laughs> it's an it's a really unique path that I think the average person yeah hasn't ever taken. I think it really speaks to like your mindset now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so horror. I blame my brother. In fact, I'm wearing a shirt. You, you can't see it if you're watching, but it's a Blue Oyster Cult shirt, and it has uh, the Grim Reaper on it on a horse. He looks very similar to the Headless Horseman, <laughs> except he has a head, a skull, a skeleton, but, um, he's a head full horseman. He's a head full horseman, but my brother was 10 years older than me. So that meant that when I was young and, and innocent, he was showing me things that I never should have seen. You know, he, <laughs> he took me to the theaters. Cause back then, you know, if you had an adult with you, that you could go to the theater. I don't know if that's changed or not, but, um, so I got, he was, he was into, um, stop motion animation. He was a big Ray Harryhausen fan. He was in way into horror. He was into hard rock. In fact, he got to know personally a lot of, you know, uh, Iron Maiden and Blue Oyster Cult and Judas Priest. And these are, these are like now like personal friends of his, like, cause just because he's a, he was a mega fan. 
and he'd go to every right. concert and go backstage and he'd know the roadies and like, he's that guy. So I, he would go to Comic-Cons way before Comic-Con event was around. You know, I remember when I was young meeting um, Mark Hamill and some of the Star Trek guys because they would just, they would go promote their little projects from town to town. And my brother was that guy. Like he, he always knew, you know, he was 20 years ahead of the curve on pop culture, comic book mm-hmm. conventions, horror, the whole thing. So I blame him for all of that stuff. But then, <laughs> blame, uh, give credit, same thing. <laughs> yeah. But, but also, um, you know, I was in the seminary and I spoke about this before, but not with your audience. Um, it was a super creepy place. It was, there are 200 year old buildings that like you picture Harry Potter, very much like Hogwarts, the real buildings. Um, one was St. Joseph's in, in Princeton, New Jersey. One was St. Mary's um, in a town called Northeast on Lake Erie. And these are 200 year old buildings that look like Harry Potter castles. They've got statues everywhere. They've got gargoyles. They've got all this history. They're massive. And, you know, here you are, like I was, um, I was a high school seminarian, so I was there as a freshman, as a 12, 13-year-old kid, all the way through being a sophomore in college before I eventually went to the University of Georgia. But prior to that, I was in this you know, heavily symbolic Catholicism um, kind of world, and uh, it, was, it was creepy, and it was cool, and it was mystical, and it was magical, you know, just like you would imagine – going to school at Hogwarts would be. It was all those things. It was very much that, especially for a young kid. And it's simultaneously as that was happening, here I am, a young kid from Georgia, small town Georgia, where, let's face it, there's not a whole lot of culture going on in those places. There there they there just isn't there isn't a need for that. And I was I was up in these places and we were an hour away from Philadelphia. We were an hour away from uh New York City. We were three hours from Washington, D.C. So all these places that all these um, metropolises with diverse people and, and minorities and art and all the things that I would never see in my small town of Georgia, I, I started seeing. And the, the, the priests were great about that because back in those days, they actually cared about that stuff. They, you know, like I've said this before, they are, are all our teachers in high school had doctorates. You know, like mm-hmm. I was taking AP classes as a sophomore and getting threes to fives on them just because of my teachers. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it was 60 students in a whole high school with probably 20 teachers that had doctorates. So you just figure out how your education is going to go. It's going to be awesome, you know, just right. just by <laughs> osmosis of being in the presence of those people. So, um, so it was cool. And they opened those doors for me, you know, like they took us to operas and they took us to Broadway. And they, and they said, you know, listen to Mozart. Here's a guy named Roald Dahl. Here's a guy named Charles Dickens. Here's a guy named, you know, whoever. Know these things because the world's a huge place and you have no idea and you should be cultured um, as a human. It has nothing to do with anything other than just you should be cultured as a human being. There's so much to know out there. Um, so, so that was great. And then that just carried me over into my real life because it was my formative years. So by the time I got into college, I segued from priesthood to started going to art. I wanted to be an actor in the beginning. So I went to the drama department um, and then, you know, then started the doors to film world started opening up. Then it was like, you know, 
there's a guy named Kubrick, <laughs> you know, and I, <laughs> <laughs> like all this whole other world opened up that I never knew about. Um, so it was just I, hashtag blessed. You know, that's all I can say. Like, <laughs> like my, my life has been a series of people um, going, Hey, look at this cool thing. Come over here. There's something you don't know about. You need to really know about this. It's going to blow your mind. And that's kind of what everything has been along the way, you know? And, and so I'm always like chasing that next thing. In this case, it's the novel. You know, here's a, here's a whole world of writing books that you know nothing about, but you can participate in it and it's awesome. So go get it, go get it. The world's out there for you to grab. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of my process. It was, I, I don't know what to say other than that. I've always had great mentors, which is why I like to mentor people back just because I've, I, everyone I've known in my life has always been willing to give in so many ways, creative, creatively and ideas and stuff, you know? So I like to pass that on and, and, and encourage people like yourself, like you're a great writer too. And you're a photographer and your, your, uh, blogs are getting amazing. And you're, uh, you know, like you, and, and even these, like your podcasts, I've, I've watched you grow from your, I think you're on your third one now, maybe, or fourth, fourth one. one, fourth yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> and I went to seeing you be like, um, you know, just, just hitting beat points to, to now like creating, you're creating arcs and you're, you know, filling in gaps and you're, you're always adding to the conversation and it's, it's cool. Like it's an art form, just like anything else. And it's like, I'm sure when you started that, however many years ago, you you didn't know about those things like you just thought that's gonna be cool i'm gonna i'm gonna say my piece in front of a microphone and hope i don't fuck it up technically and it's gonna be cool but now it's like you've (laughs) you've actually created an art form and and the the fan base and the listeners come not because of you're cool they come because your art is out there with the world and they enjoy it so they're like i want i want more of that let me dip into that some more you know so it's cool i i think you're a very similar kind of person I, I appreciate that greatly. I certainly aspire to it. And you're right. I mean, look, f- when I started the first podcast with a couple of buddies of mine, um, speaking of technical fuck-ups, there were many. Because <laughs> for, yeah. for, for whatever reason, I ended up being like the technical person. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. You know, like I bought a little mixing board. And back then, I think we used to record on like a eight, not the eight, what's it? The Zoom, Zoom recorders? Oh, yeah. The back Zoom before. Board. Back before Zoom was like a, a an app where we all look at each other on the screens, but like you know, <laughs> yeah. the recorder, yeah, the field recorders, yeah, and you know, and I and I and in my first podcast, I was very much sort of I I found my role to sort of be the comic relief mm-hmm. um, because my two co-hosts are just way smarter than me, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to politics, and so what I was able to do was add lev- levity, yeah, and then when I did Grindhouse, you know, then I was talking more about film, what I felt more comfortable doing. Yeah. Um, in the beginning I had a co-host so I could bounce, bounce back and forth. And that sort of pushed me into the role of more trying to guide. Mm-hmm. And then with, with coffins and coffee, that was really just more fun with, with Jess and I and being yeah. able to just sort of be reverent. And, <laughs> and then with this podcast, you know, like I, I feel like I have finally tapped into what I was always looking to tap into, yeah. which is um, in the beginning, I only wanted to just have a really great conversation, Yeah, you know, and, um, and the things that I am passionate about, which are art, which are spirituality, yeah. which are uh, society, culture, like these are the things that interest me, that get me excited. And, uh, and I am very 
blessed to hashtag blessed be able to know so many creative people yeah to be able to amplify their stories to amplify their art their work and not because of some sort of search for for fame you know um which i see you know it always it always catches my eye maybe gives me a little chuckle that there's again there's so many people right now there's people who create art for the sake of creating art because they believe in it, because they love it, because they, they can't help it. Yeah. And then there's those people out there who are searching, uh, they're seeking validation and fame yeah. and a check mark, like you said, yeah. and uh, uh, awards, some yeah. of which they've created themselves just to give themselves. Like, <laughs> right. You know, like this is kind of the culture that we are fighting against. That, we're, that there's sort of two, people always look at the tribalism in the world. And truly to me, there's two types of folks. There's the mundane and the people who get caught up in the ego and the self-serving and the self-aggrandizing. And then there's the people who are sort of compelled to add enchantment to the world. Yeah. And um, because I've had great mentors like yourself and other people along the way Mm -hmm. who have inspired me, because I also come from a small town in the South Mm -hmm. that doesn't have a lot of what we would consider worldwide culture. Yeah. That if not for people like my orchestra teacher, Miss Stone, or my humanities and creative writing class I had in uh, high school or my creative writing teacher I had in college twister who was from Wyoming of all places uh, <laughs> and, and you and, and Effie Brown and and Gary Binko and Don Dunn and all these all these people along the way who have inspired me yeah and and supported me uh, seeking art and seeking to be involved in art in some manner and just like you like I you know I take photos it's I don't make money off of it I don't make yep. money off this podcast I mean as you know, I work a lot. I have I have a full-time job and um, that's extraordinarily time-consuming. And yet I, I, I just think it's really cool when people, they, they can't help but, but create because yeah. it's just, it's where their passion lies. Yeah. And whether you become famous from it or whether you just impact 20 lives, right. like the, the, to, the ability to positively impact someone's life makes you a success yeah and if you make money awesome right and if you do both even better yeah but like but like it's like a viral video you can't recreate that right you can't you can't create a viral video that's not how it has ever worked i've worked at companies where they've attempted it yeah professional management companies it doesn't it just it either does or it doesn't yeah yeah you know all you can do is be authentic to yourself authentic to your audience, yep. passionate in the art that you create and, and let it, let it live the life that it's going to live. It's kinda, I would assume much like raising children, yep. right? You do your best right. and then you let them off into the world and you, and yep. you have two, two young, well, they're not young anymore, I guess they're yep. young adults now. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's probably very, very similar to that. Yeah, it is. It is. It's giving birth and putting it out to the world. <laughs> Plus, not only that, but you've had, the ability to, to work and visit, I, I don't even know how many countries at this point. I, I'm going to guess a dozen at least. Uh, probably more than that, yeah. Wow. And and I'm sure from each place that you visit, you're able to glean some cultural significance, inspiration, education that you then can sort of wrap up into the the quilt, the, the multicolored quilt that is your personality and your life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that I think those experiences play a lot in into art too, because you know, the more I travel, the more different places. It's like there's two things I always learn: 
one thing is this new place, wherever that is, whether it's uh, you know Myanmar or or Laos or China or Hong Kong or uh, Europe, this place is has its own thing going on that no nowhere else in the world has. They have their own whatever their foods, their language, their culture, their part, their block parties, whatever they call it. But I also learn that everyone's the same in, in the whole world. Like it doesn't, it's a cross cultural thing. I, you know, I've been on in most of the continents <laughs> and people are the same everywhere. They have the same goals, um, the same desires and the same um, attitudes towards a lot of things, which, which is, which is unfortunate that like in today's society, we pit ourselves against each other sort of red pill versus blue pill on mm-hmm. down the line on everything. Because the reality is we're all, we're not that different. Most people are not that different, you know? Um, and it's cross-cultural too. So, uh, but that's, that's helped with the art tremendously. You know, I, I, I always say that life experiences uh, funnel into art. The more you have, the better for sure. hundred percent. Well, the more enriched you are and your experiences are, the more that you can yeah. add to any creative endeavor. Because even if you're not consciously trying to draw from your experience visiting mm-hmm. Thailand, where you live now, or mm-hmm. New York, where you went to seminary, or Georgia, where you were born, or yeah. England, or Jordan, or India, <laughs> or any of those places that I know you've traveled to and you've worked in and you experienced, yeah. Yep. Just just by the nature of them being part of your life will yeah. will bleed into your not only your art, but also just your world perspective. Yeah, totally. You know, and I think that's one thing that people you told me this in film. You gave me some advice as it relates to film that I think applies sort of more broadly, which is that um don't say you, you're flying a 747 when you're really just flying Cessna. Yeah. And and I feel like in this in this race to set up our little our little social fiefdoms, yeah. we we position ourselves as authorities over things. We make our YouTube videos and our TikToks and whatever, yeah. um, because we want to be we want to validate ourselves as some sort of important authority figure without having actually yeah. done anything to, to deserve that. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't remember. I think it's right before we hit record. We we're talking about technology. Yeah. And how that has, in many regards, opened doors, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah. But in other regards, has sort of given people a false sense of yeah. accomplishment, perhaps. Yeah. Achievement, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. As a, as a salty old dog at this point. Oh yeah. When you when you look back at sort of where we're at with uh, culture in general, especially in America. Yeah. And and even in film, like what is where where do you see us like where where at near 50 years do you sort of see the culture from the sort of 50,000 foot view yeah i i um i i think it's at a tipping point cuz cuz like like i said i think i think all humans are 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 the same despite what we we might want to say online and i think that we're i think society is at a tipping point in that like all this all this fighting you know it's like especially in america like with politics you know it's like you it's like i i can see this from because i'm an expat so i know what everyone's talking about but i haven't i'm not in the sauce so it doesn't really affect me as much as it affects people there so i can see it without like being being in the middle of the fray so to speak so 
it's immediately when something happens in America, no matter what it is, no matter how trivial it is, any news snippet happens, it has to go along party lines. And the, and the, and the people speaking of the, for the party, on behalf of the party, whoever they may be, have to assign, like Colin Powell's death is the recent thing that had to be assigned. Okay, are we for this or against this? Was he good or was he evil? Is he an admirable person or, or was he a, a war uh, despot? <laughs> what, where, what side are we picking? So it's like they get the news that he died, you know, before the, before the media even rolls out, they, you know, the Tucker Carlson's and, and the Dean Cain's on that side and, and the, you know, whoever on the other side have already got their notes and they, they can, they can tell you by the time the sun rises up what their uh, you know, what their script is going to be. And, and unfortunately we've lost the ability to think for ourselves, you know, like, like because nothing is black and white in, in world. Yeah. Colin Powell was both of those things. He was a hero mm-hmm. and he was a villain. He, 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 and everyone is, and every situation is that, but, but it's like, we have to, ascribe you know is this right or wrong is this black or white is it red or blue um immediately and that's just not the way the world works so for me i think that it's just it just can't go on this way and i think social media is a big part of why we have this sort of division because like you said you know even by the very nature of like something like twitter it it limits what you can say and of course, mm-hmm. people who are on the opposite side of the fence are going to read into your 140 characters negatively because you're not there in front of them looking in their face. They can't read your emotions. They don't know what you're, you know, what you're trying to say. They just read words and they're immediately up in arms. Um, and I, I just don't think that can last because uh, humans, humans aren't like that and situations aren't like that. And uh, I, I think I don't know what's going to happen. You know, maybe maybe it is going to take a an outage of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to to go down and people to actually walk out into the street and meet their neighbor and have a beer with them and be like, oh, I saw that you know Trump sign in your uh, yard and I hated you, but now that I'm having a beer with you, I realize you're just like me. Actually, <laughs> you know, like whatever. <laughs> kind of yeah, I I I find that. Um... I'm sure I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but we we as a sort of as a culture and a society, pretty much early on in my life and probably midway through your life, sort of started to remove the institutions by which we collaborated with and we congregated with, and we conflict resolved through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you go to a, a church or a fraternity or a brotherhood or a hell even a coffee shop in the '90s. And interacted with people yeah. in in a direct a direct face to face interaction. You had to sort of work through certain things. You yeah. developed a skill set for communication. Uh, the, the The ability to communicate um, is something that's is is very much being a lost art. Yeah, which is so ironic that we're living in the the telecommunication <laughs> age, so to speak. But we've actually lost that ability in many regards. Yeah, um, and. And in its place, we've set up this plastic artificial shell where we're we're pretending to talk to one another, but we're actually just talking to a machine through an algorithm. Yeah, and interacting in that in that manner. Yeah, and I feel like it's I, I feel like a lot of the the rise in dogma and high tensions mm-hmm. and um, at each other the throatedness is sort of a byproduct of that. Like we have been sold 
this church of mammon, this idea mm-hmm. that consumerism it will satiate our desires, yeah. um, will fill the emptiness in our souls, and it hasn't, and it doesn't, and it never was. Yeah. It's designed. It's a lie designed entirely to bound you to someone else's, uh, you know, bound you to servitude for someone else, yeah. to make money for someone else, yeah. um, to constantly be in need. Therefore, you are. Uh, always needing these masters, so to speak, to provide for you, but it's 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 empty. It's like being fed. A, I don't know if you know this, but like they feed cows their own shit. Mm. You know, like like farm, like in the agriculture industry, they'll take cow patties, yeah. they'll pack them. I don't know exactly what their process is, and then they refeed them to the cows yeah. because in theory there's still nutrients in their shit, and they want to save money, so mm-hmm. they just feed them literally their they cows. These cows that you eat yeah. literally eat their own shit. Yeah, that's how they that's how they sustain. Yeah, um, but of course it's miserable. It's a miserable existence. You're not right. meant to eat the yeah the leftover shit nutrients of <laughs> right. the world, right? Right. And in the end, to your point, uh, we're we're the same. I mean, like on a spiritual level, I legitimately believe that you and I and Jess and Dan and everyone that we know are literally fragments of the same source. Like yeah. the, the, the thing that is the spark of life, mm-hmm. want to call it whatever you want to call it, the divine, the force, God, yeah. doesn't matter. Like that spark of life, that thing that is the difference between you being a cadaver and you being Jude, mm-hmm. that thing is something that we all legitimately share. It's all in my, from my belief, it comes from one source. And yeah. so this the division that we see in this world mm-hmm. is entirely right. man-made. It's a it's a complete construct. Yeah. And that if we could get beyond that, we would recognize that we have yeah. uh far more far more similarities than we do have differences. Yeah. And if we stop trying to feed our own ego and and realize that we're part of a larger collective, then we will, at least in my experience, yeah. live a, a far more peaceful, tranquil type of existence. And I actually think that one of the ways that we can transcend this is by creating authentic art, right? Not, not pop art. Yeah. Right. Not just art for commerce. Cause then you're just making a widget. You might as well just put it on Amazon. Yeah. But like a, a legitimate, passionate art, you know, I think can, can yep. speak for the soul and be received by someone else's soul. It's like, yeah. It's like we bypass the the ego and we can talk directly to one another yeah. through this creation. Yeah. Um, as someone who lives in Thailand, I am sure I'm tapping <laughs> into some quasi Buddhist ideas. Yeah. Like, like what is your experience there? Has, and and wow. I'm sure it changed your perspective going from Catholic seminary school growing up to then living in a predominantly Buddhist society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good, man. It's, it's overall, it's great. I will say what you were just talking about, before I answer that question, it reminds me about the pale blue dot, you know, that picture of the earth where it's like a little tiny blue dot on the, on the horizon mm-hmm. that was taken from some, one of our spacecraft at some point. And it's like all the astronauts say the same thing. When you go up into space um, and you see earth from a distance, it's like everyone who ever lived and died, every, every argument that ever happened, happened on that little tiny little space. And, and when you realize it's like, you know, the, it's like if you can imagine in your mind zooming into that, uh, you know, and you get further, further, further into you're right into your head, into your ego, like you were talking about, you know, that's yeah. where, that's where the conflict happens. You know, like we are, we're all just, we're all just living on, on this little pale blue dot in the middle of nowhere. 
and and to to answer your question yeah buddhism has been amazing it's been it's been it's been the hardest thing to ever happen to me because i'm an american and americans are notoriously ego ethnocentric and egotistical Uh, Mm -hmm. It's always like we're ingrained from we're kids. We're number one. We're fucking land of the free, liberty this, liberty that. You know, we're the best. You know, we're the military might of the world, blah, blah, blah. It's like ingrained in you since you're born. And um, all of Southeast Asia, but especially Thailand and India, where I spent two years of my life on films, (laughs) um, uh, is the opposite. Like, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's about trying to figure out, um, how to better yourself. You know, that's the whole point of Buddhism is it, the only thing that's constant is change. That's the only thing, mm-hmm. you know, so you got to figure out, um, you don't have to figure out the meaning of life. You just got to figure out how to, how to get to the next step, how to have the next realization, that sort of Volta moment you were talking about, how to, how to um, be a better person and and be a better part of the community. And that's the exact opposite of going, I need to make the most money. I need to be the most famous. You know, I need to have, I, I need to have the best product out there. I need to do this X, Y, Z that we're always tra- chasing after. So I've found in my travels all through Asia that people here, even the most impoverished people who have nothing, they literally have a pot to piss in and a little tiny house on stilts, you know, and they're mm-hmm. just barely surviving off the land, but they're really happy because they're not chasing all this bullshit. You know, they, they, they don't, they, they, they don't have Twitter accounts <laughs> and they don't have to have the iPhone 13 and they don't have to see the next movie, Marvel movie that's coming out because they just don't, you know, they're, they're just living, they're living life in the moment. They're taking every breath every morning. They're watching the sunrise. Like I live now, I moved out of Bangkok, which is a giant metropolis. It's like New York times 20. There's like (laughs) 15 million people or more in Bangkok. Um, Giant metropolis. And I moved to the country. And it's where there's literally water buffalo walking in my backyard every day. And it's great. You know, it's like, it's sort of that Zen moment of me and the earth and and the full moon and the sunrise and um and, and and i'm at peace with myself and i'm not you know i i stopped i used to read cnn every day just to get the headlines and i stopped doing it because it's even even whatever side you're on it's purposely meant to you know agitate you like it's 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 always poking you in the rib you know it's always just like yeah but fuck that guy and fuck that guy you know doesn't it doesn't matter if you ascribe to those beliefs it still is is meant to be divisive because that's just what media is because it sells it's a it's a product and every time Mm -hmm. that you click on that and say yeah fuck that guy then that's a sale for them you know so i stopped doing it i just stopped reading the news and like you know i think i it's like you told me that Kobe died. Like I didn't even know that, you know, because I, I, yeah. I just wasn't even paying attention. And then you were like, by the way, did you know Kobe died? You know, but so um, – and then my life's been way better because of it, you know. So – and when I went to India, I worked for this really famous guy there named Kamal Hassan for two years on some big movies there. And he said – he, he ended up being – I ended up being his confidant because he was 60 years in the film business, now almost 70 years in the film business. And 
people had said yes to him his whole life because he started when he was six years old and they call him the Robert De Niro, right, of India. So he never was not, his movies never didn't, he never had a flop his entire life. So he had all these yes men around him. And then when I got there, I didn't know who he was. He was just another guy to me. So I would be like, no, you can't do that. No, hell no. Like, that's stupid. What are you, crazy? Like, and, and, and he respected that. And then when my wife came to India to visit me after we had shot for like a year, he met her and he thanked her. And he goes, thank God, you know, that Judas spent all this time in Thailand with you, learning to get outside of the ego and all this stuff mm-hmm. because it prepped him. Because every other foreigner that came on our, I, I hired tons of foreign. I hired Americans to come, and England and Australians, and everyone, you know, they had a problem. All, every one of them had a problem. You know, it's like whatever. My room is too hot. My laundry sucks. The food's too spicy. My car was late. Like whatever, whatever, whatever. And then here he was, and all we were just trying to make art. We were just trying to make movies. You know, we we're just getting out there. And he he said to me. I, I liked you because you fought even for other people's art. It's like you will probably never see this movie. You know, you're like it's ones in Tam, one versions in Tamil, ones in Hindi. Like you're not even mm-hmm. going to watch the movie, but you fight tooth and nail to get what I want on the screen. You know, and he said he said that to me, so he became a confidant, a friend, because he didn't have any friends. You know, so. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just that whole thing of getting outside of yourself, of backing away from of this of the of the rat race and looking at the bigger picture and then getting into spiritualism which can be anything you know it can be it has a million different names it can be occultism it could be buddhism hinduism catholicism uh whatever it doesn't matter but um it's it's finding yourself you know it's 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 relating to the bigger cosmos it's it's becoming a better person to get to the next step you know i i look at this whole life as sort of like um, a, a preface to something else. I don't know what. I, you know, it's like I, I don't know if I believe in heaven or afterlife or anything, but I know that, you know, everything's a learning experience. And whatever it is, whether it's the matrix that's waiting for me on the other side or, or mm-hmm. you know, it's St. Peter with his long beard and his little wings, you know, whatever you ascribe to, then it doesn't matter. But the point is, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to let it go to waste, and I'm going to do my best to to be better and 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 help others as well. I and mean, that's what it's all about for me. I think. I mean, look, I, I can't think of a better sentiment to go out on than that. <laughs> and I hope that everyone who listens buys in because you've got uh, you've you've you put the you've got the skins on the wall, you've put the <laughs> miles under your feet, and you're coming from a place of of not just sort of feigned perspective but actual experience and so uh i constantly learn from you uh, in not only in the world of film but in life and i hope that everyone can share in that uh experience and perspective and insight that you share why don't you let everyone know where they can find you you're on you are on social media from time to time and you've got projects and companies and all (laughs) kinds of goodies if people are are coming away from this interested in the kind of art that you create. So why don't you kind of plug yourself and your works and your movies and your books and all that good stuff and let everyone know when the Unhallowed Horseman novel is coming out so they can pick it up. Cool. Yeah. So you can find me uh, everywhere on Jude S. Walco. I always say, hey, Jude, like, hey, Jude, and then Walco, like walk with an O. 
So Judas Walco everywhere. My company's Blue Falcon Productions. Um, and the book is called The Unhallowed Horseman. Uh, you can pretty much find it anywhere if you if you Google that or go on, on social media or look me up. You'll, you'll be led to it. And it's going to come out on October 29th. It'll be an ebook. There'll be a Kindle version. There will be paperback versions. And there might be hardback versions. We're, we're definitely formatting hardback versions. But uh, Amazon, that's a, um, a beta thing right now. But there's another place called Ingram Spark. And hopefully it'll be in bookstores too. I'm, I'm pushing it to be in bookstores too. But regardless... It'll definitely you'll be you'll be able to find it on Amazon, but if for whatever reason you can't find it, get a hold of me or get a hold of Dave and just send us a note and say, hey, that book sounded cool. How do I get it? And 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 we'll find it for you. But uh, that's all my stuff. But but I think you'll enjoy the book, especially if you're a horror fan, if you're a Sleepy Hollow fan, if you're a Headless Horseman fan, if you're a Halloween fan, check it out. I think I think you'll enjoy the ride for sure. I agree and and support your indie artist as always. People like Jude, the people like uh, many of the guests I've had on the show are folks that put all their blood, sweat and tears as cliche as that may sound into these works. And yeah. you said something earlier that I I wanted to revisit which is that um the 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 what goes into this book is not the weeks that you spent writing it solely. Yeah. It's the years of experience that yes. built to that moment before you put the first the first time the pen hit the uh paper or the the first keystroke. It's all your life experiences yes. and interests and desires and dreams that all culminated into this one artistic endeavor. So, uh when you consider that, when you consider that you've got near 50 years yeah. of uh labor of 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 effort of of love of passion into this book yes uh, whatever the price point may be uh it's certainly a bargain <laughs> yeah. when you think about it from that perspective that's right it'll be very affordable for and sure. if you're and if and if you're one of those people who is out there kind of and you take stock of yourself and you're realizing you're not happy and you're not being fulfilled and you're not being satisfied Far be it for me to provide uh, the answer, but I can certainly offer a perspective, which is that the support and the uh, ingesting of art, authentic art, I've said it probably 50 times. You've heard <laughs> me say authentic art, take a shot. <laughs> yeah. um, unless you're on Buddhist Lent, and then I guess not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, <laughs> but, but, but support it because that's where we communicate soul to soul. And uh, I, I appreciate you and everything that you do and your art and uh, your passion for art. And I look forward to reading the uh, paperback version mm -hmm. of the book and putting it on the shelf. I, I have no doubts that it will sit very nicely next to Washington Irving's yes. classic. <laughs> and 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 thank you so much for your time, uh, your your perspective, your insight, and and all that you do and all that you create. Uh, it is valued, and I hope that uh, those listening will value it as much as I do. Awesome! Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you once again for, to Jude for sharing his time with us and his story and perspective. I, I Like I said at the beginning of this, I always enjoy talking with him and I always feel that uh, he is someone who came from, as we talked about, somewhat humble roots, you know, as someone who also grew up in the South and grew up in a town that isn't especially known for its culture. 
the fact that he and I were both able to sort of transcend our humble upbringings and experience the world in a way that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to experience. I mean, I think that means that means a lot to me personally as someone who didn't get the opportunity to travel much, to be able to have traveled Europe, Australia, America, Jamaica, Canada, you know, and and part of that wanderlust, which I know is often an overused term, came from working with someone like Jude, who's inspired me to travel the world, to stay freelance, to experience the different things that life has to offer. And so I cannot thank him enough. I will thank him from the bottom of my heart for him to constantly inspire me to be uh, an artist and to be passionate and to be a professional above all else. And I want to encourage everyone, as I sort of alluded to at the beginning of the intro, to seek out culture, seek out art, seek out traveling, put your passion into something, follow, follow through, uh, you know, speak impeccably, uh, be, be a person with ethics, be a person with desire, be a person with passion you know, to when I look around and I, I certainly acknowledge that I'm probably sounding like the old man yelling at the clouds. But when I look around, sometimes I see a world that day after day gets has eroded their ability to appreciate the effort and the quality of fine art, be that, you know, reading or movies or music, you know, the industries that that propped up those forms of art have become nearly impossible to earn a living to do nowadays and um, and most people sort of expect art to be free and it's really a shame to me it really is because the reality of it is is there is a direct correlation between our habits as viewers as appreciators of art or the lack thereof and and the quality of art that we get so if you want to see uh, movies and films and music that inspire you to go out and create works of art yourself uh, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean uh, you got to be Mozart because the Sex Pistols did that a very same thing. So this is not a a criticism about high or low art, but 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 art with heart stands out always. There's the difference between a movie that you can see was made by a passionate filmmaker, someone who 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 toiled over every detail to make sure that their perspective was was felt, uh, and a Marvel flick, which is you know the same basic plot as Iron Man one, re re uh, with reapplied lipstick on the pig, so to speak. And if that's what you like, that's cool. But a world with strictly schlock is frankly a pretty plastic one, and not one that I am very keen on on experiencing. So I hope that people like Jude continue to have success. I hope that people like you who are making your own arts continue to have success. That's why I'm so passionate about supporting independent artists. It's not about fame. It's not about acknowledgement. It's not about money. It's about if this world extinguishes the last spark of creative juices from within all of us, then what we're stuck with is all of the evils of capitalism that you complain about on Twitter, right? But you know what? If you don't make the change, if you don't get off the couch and make that change yourself and put art out there that's passionate and support art that has passion in it, then you're going to get stuck with whatever widget Amazon slocks out for you next week. And that's that's a pretty dire situation in my opinion. So um, I'll get off my soapbox now. Thank you all once again for listening. I, I'm just very, I'm a passionate person when it comes to art and especially independent art because I feel like that's, that's art in its purest form. And the more we support artists like Jude S. Walko and others out there, 
the more we will have a world that that brings back the enchantment to life. Uh, and, and is it just this plastic artificial digital world that we're currently this this sort of digital plastic hellscape that we're all currently trying to survive. So thank you all once again. Have a wonderful week this week. And until next time, gold rings on you all.